This is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Lex Kibernetica. We may not be aware of that, but we are placing our lives in the hands of machines, algorithms, robots, and this is uh, going to grow bigger and bigger as more and more aspects of life are being digitalized and robotized. We'll talk about the autonomous car, one of the most uh, complicated robots that we have in our lives or will have in a few years. Hello, I'm Shai Shalev Schwartz. I'm a professor at the Hebrew University and I'm the CTO of Mobili. Mobili is a company that uh, builds autonomous cars. What are the basic difficulties of uh, autonomous cars, of, of programming them, of creating them? The biggest challenge is reaching 100% or being very, very close to 100% accuracy in the decision-making and in the understanding of the surrounding of an autonomous car. Why would we need 100% and not just a little better than what humans uh, achieve? If a human makes a mistake, somehow we as uh, social creatures, uh, we are fine with uh, killing each other. But the question is, uh, will the society accept people to, to get hurt or to be killed by machines, by robots? And what you're saying is that we're not as comfortable with machines killing us, even if they kill us less than we kill ourselves. Yes, um, we will be comfortable with, um, um, with machines uh, making uh, mistakes if uh, the probability of mistakes is much, much smaller than the probability of mistakes of a human driver. And then we can say, okay, for uh, something like the greater good, uh, we will feel comfortable then, okay, uh, there can be malfunction, but it's so rare that we are okay with it. But if it will be just slightly better than a human driver, then we will have a problem. We are uh, getting close to uh, the statistic of a human driver, um, but we are striving to be a thousand times better than a human driver. And within the software, I'm talking about uh, uh, two important components of the software. One is what we call, we call perception. This is understanding uh, what is around us. Uh, the second one is decision-making. So even if you know completely what is around you, you need to make decisions. For example, if you are approaching a merge, you need to, uh, uh, to, uh, to decide whether to give way or take way to mm -hmm. some other uh, car that is going to merge with you. I would argue that it could be easier because if you have to trust some, looking at somebody, at somebody, someone's eyes, and understanding what they mean with their body language that you view from afar, uh, computers, cars can, can interact. This is true if all the cars would be autonomous, but we, there will be a long period of time where there, when there will be autonomous cars and uh, human-driven cars at the same time on the roads. And humans have been proven to be uh, more aggressive towards autonomous cars our goal is to uh, design our cars uh, that uh, they will pass what we call a Turing test for autonomous cars. Uh, it means that uh, you will not know if the car next to you is driven by a, a robot, by a software or by a human driver. So, so even if uh, we can make uh, autonomous cars and we can, uh, we, we can make them behave very similar to a safe human driver. Uh, still, how can you make sure that the decisions that you are make are perfect? Uh, and what about the negotiation with what other 
the other side is doing. So maybe you are doing fine decisions, but the, the other party makes a mistake and you need to react to the mistake that the other party makes. And maybe your reaction will confuse him more than will help. And then we get a loop and it's very, very difficult and challenging to make sure that everything here is fine. And for that, we developed a, a model uh, in Mobileye, which we call Responsibility Sensitive Safety. Uh, this model uh, aims at uh, formali- formalizing what we call the duty of care. In law, in tort law, uh, there is a notion of the duty of care. You should not uh, make harm and you should be careful uh, not to make harm to others. But how can we interpret this law in a way that a robot can understand what does it mean? So Asimov was not, not enough. Asimov did amazing, uh, amazing rules, but uh, you need more than that. You need to be able to program them in a mathematical way and in a way that uh, will do exactly what you mean. And this is exactly what our mo- model is doing. Uh, it it uh, comes with a, a, a mathematical formalism of things that we as humans gasp as common sense. So, but you don't want to be too paranoid because then maybe you need to stay in the garage. Our goal is that the society through regulators uh, will look at our model and will uh, adopt it or will uh, come up with uh, ideas on how, how to improve it. But something needs to be done as to regulating the decision-making of uh, autonomous cars. So the next step that uh, we are going to do is not only to apply these ideas for autonomous cars, but also for non-autonomous cars, which are smart Smart enough. cars. Smart cars. So already today, uh, there are more and more driving assistance systems for human-driven cars. Can we reach uh, what we call the Vision Zero? Vision Zero is a Swedish uh, parliament decision made by 1997 that by 2020, there will be no uh, serious injuries or fatalities from car accidents. Can we reach it? My claim is that it is possible to use our model of what does it mean to be careful not on top of an autonomous car, but also on top of human-driven cars. So we can intervene in uh, a human-driven car. And when a human reaches a dangerous situation, we can apply a proper response. And moreover, the computer can get control over the car and react when necessary. One of the major uh, advantages of our model is that we give a mathematical proof of utopia, meaning that we prove that if all the cars... Uh, adhere to our own interpretation of the duty of care, then there will be no accident at all. Professor Shaishalev Schwartz, thank you very much. Thank you. One of the things that's going to turn autonomous cars from a technological vision to a practical product is insurance. Our next guest will try to explain uh, how this will work. Hi, my name is uh, Anat Lior. I'm a JSD candidate at Yale Law School and an ISP fellow, uh, also at Yale Law School. I am researching artificial intelligence-based devices, including autonomous vehicles. As part of my research, I, I also explore the way insurance can be a helpful regulatory tool to face new challenges that are created by autonomous vehicles. We know today that autonomous cars are safer than regular cars. How come... The insurance is not taking that into account. They are taking that into account, but they cannot see it right now because technically they cannot risk management if they don't know the, ex- the exact risks. Because if you have a driver, then you know, you usually know as people who drive 
what the risks that can happen. He can get drunk and drive down the wheel. He can get sleepy. He can lose attention of the road for a couple of seconds and an accident will occur. We don't really know what are the risks when it comes to AI, autonomous vehicles. The algorithm itself, it can be a defect in, in the design. It can be a defect in the manufacturing because the AI works within a black box that we are unaware of the process in which the decision is being made. We are essentially giving information to the algorithm, to the machine itself, and then the results come on the other side, but we are not really sure what's going on within the black box. People uh, argue that as of now, it will be very high in the entrance phase to the market, but as time goes by and they will prove it themselves to be very reliable, and maybe even the black, the black box problem will be a little less scary and a little more predictable, then the premium will go down. Some predict that the insurance industry uh, for vehicles in general will disappear. I don't think that's going to happen because there will always be accidents and risks that to manage, but it will be a lot smaller and through a different model, I assume. Uh, autonomous cars makers uh, have the proprietary information, mm -hmm. proprietary technology and proprietary uh, algorithms. And when an accident occurs, Will they have to expose their trade secrets to the insurance companies? That is one option that, that eventually they will have to cooperate with, it, with between these two industries. I've saw, I've, I saw a hearing in the Congress uh, that insurance company representative mostly stated that we need data access and we cannot ac uh, accurately assess the risks and, and give insurance if we don't know what is happening within the, the machine. Another option is that the manufacturer themselves will self-insure and then they will, in this way, they will signal to the community of drivers that they really believe in their product and they will be able to uh, avoid sharing their information. The Volvo already stated that in case it will be commercially run, they will take responsibility for every accident that will occur. So there is a, a, pr a prospect of creating some sort of monopoly that the manufacturer will have uh, within its capabilities, everything, including the manufacturing, the insurance itself. Do autonomous cars make it easier to determine whose fault the accident is uh, compared to regular car accidents? You would assume that it did because there's a lot of tools that we have within the autonomous vehicle. And to, a lot of data. Yeah, a lot of data to, to figure out what happened if an accident occurred. That is something that I'm not sure is actually correct because you can use the, the same tools if you have a human driver in the car. Most probably it will be it will not be the same because the, the AV has a lot more uh, cameras and sensors and tools that are able to collect information. But as I mentioned about the black box problem, because we have that problem and we are not very sure how the vehicle ended up doing what it did, we don't really know What's the direct link to a liable person? Is there a scenario where there's an accident, but it's either blameless, nobody's fault, or impossible to tell because of that uh, black box uh, environment? And, and how will insurance companies deal with that? I think there is a scenario. I think that's the Armageddon scenario that everyone is very scared of. I think the, the, the solution that a lot of people, a lot of scholars offer is to use strict liability. Most of the regulation of insurance and the usage of regular vehicles do not require blame in any way. Also the Israeli one and also many of the Americans state because it's a state thing and not a federal thing. So if we don't require blame of anyone, then it shouldn't be that different than what we already have today. 
the, the responsibility goes to the, to, to the drivers involved. But here, if we have no driver, it will probably have to go to the upper level of the manufacturer and the programmer, designer, the whole uh, line of uh, manufacturing of the AV. And what about the transition period? Uh, what happens when there's an accident between an autonomous vehicle and a non-autonomous vehicle? I don't think the people have a clear answer yet. You would expect that the, the uh, AV will be responsible because we expect them not to, create, to do accidents and we don't really expect the human driver to know how to interact with the AV. A, a big problem people say is that, for example, if a pedestrian wants to cross the, the road, usually it makes eye contact with the driver to make sure he can pass. But if you have a, an AV, there is no driver and there is a lack of communication between the two, then a lot of more accidents can come to be just because there is something we expected and something completely different happened. I believe the AV will take responsibility because they're in the transition path. And with every, every new technology, for example, when planes started to fly, usually the risk takers, of, like the people who got on the plane were responsible for their own risk because it was considered very dangerous. So I'm not sure if it's going to be considered very dangerous because the whole point is that it's safer, but because they're the avant-garde people who are taking the, the leap to something new, they will probably be in charge, even if it's going to happen with uh, regular cars. A couple of articles suggest that there will be a fund that will take 50% from public resources like taxes and 50% from the manufacturer itself. And we will dip into that fund once accident happens. But people say that it's probably not the best solution because the fund does not give incentives to regular cars to behave in a cautions way and people will be negligent and reckless. As time goes by, I assume that it will come more to 50-50 and there will be more reasons to say the regular cars should have seen it coming and they know what to expect. How will insurance take into account the dangers of hackers hacking cars, uh, changing their software? I'm not even limiting this to malicious hackers. Sometimes people mm -hmm. will just want to hack their car to make it better. A lot of Uh, insurance policy exclude these kinds of things because they don't really know how to evaluate them. I'm sure that some uh, policies do include them, but the premium will be much higher. From what I can see, a couple of articles did acknowledge this specific situation and they, they kind of presented as an anecdote or something to, to be taken into consideration in the future because they don't really know what to do with it right now because you cannot really know when and hacking will, will happen and you can't usually catch the person who did it. The offer was to immunize the specific malfunction from, strict, from the strict product liability, but I feel like it will do more harm than good. And also there's a problem, it's a defect with the manufacturing because they know hacking is a, is a possibility, so they should be incentivized to create a safer system. And a good way to do that is through strict liability. Anat Leo, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As with every technology, and especially one that has lethal potential, it will be regulated. Heavily. How will regulation work? What exactly will be regulated? Let's talk to our next guest. Hi, my name is Gadi Perl. I'm a researcher in the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center. My research focuses on artificial intelligence, and currently I'm focusing on regulating autonomous cars. In Arizona, uh, there was a fatal accident where an autonomous car hit and killed a pedestrian. You know, on the one hand, the government wants people to use autonomous cars. Autonomous cars can save lives. 
Everybody knows that a machine is better than a human driver. It will not fall asleep. It will not look at the cell phone. Autonomous cars can also save a lot of money in infrastructure. Less accidents, less need for parking spaces, less traffic jams, and of course, helping the impaired, helping the blind, helping the old move about. And on the other hand, the accident in Arizona actually raised the problem that there is lack of regulation and it comes with a price because first things people were not sure who's liable who's responsible for the yeah, accident who, 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 uh, we're not talking who's going to pay but is anybody going to going to go to prison is uber is the driver herself well, she wasn't the, really the, the driver the, the word driver here is is, is complicated because she was, she was supposed sick. to oversee that trip she was an uber employee that we know. She sat behind the she wheel. She sat behind the wheel. Yeah, but her eyes were averted to the control system. She wasn't even looking at the road. Is it actually really possible to keep your eyes on the road if you're doing nothing for three or four hours? So the whole issue of what we lawyers call liability and what normal people call who's responsible, it's, it's not clear. And if I'm a normal citizen, I ask myself, what will happen when a car hits me? But And we weren't sure. Is anybody taking care of the fact that these cars are safe enough? You know, as a lawyer, I, I try to I check between myself and myself, where, where are the rules? Is there any, any guideline? And another very important issue was the cameras on the car. We know that there's supposed to be a nice camera facing the road, but we discovered that there's a camera faced on the driver. And not only is it faced on the driver, when there's an accident, it's on YouTube. <laughs> what about privacy? And think about it, there's going to be thousands of cars on the road, each with a camera on it, each documenting you where you go. What will happen to privacy? So on the one hand, the government really, I think, even needs autonomous cars. If we're going to live in a modern society, we need efficient vehicles taking people from point A to point B without getting them killed. But on the other hand, are we going to give away privacy and you know accountability? The problem is that it's easy for me to come and say, well, we need regulations, we need rules. It's, it's really difficult because it's what you would call a multifaceted problem. It means it has a lot of issues. You look at this autonomous car and its privacy and its security and its cybersecurity. What happens if it's hacked? A terror organization hacks all the cars instantly and everybody goes crashing into a wall. But what about me deciding to kill my mother-in-law and taking her car directly into the wall? There's also security and, and you have to give a good solution for everything or else people won't buy the cars because they won't feel safe. So we have to think it differently. I think what happens is that you have to not regulate the end product. We're not going to regulate autonomous cars. I think that's a doomed mission. We're going to have to talk about regulating technologies. An autonomous car is the end product. It's not the technology. The technologies are sensors, algorithms, there's a mechanical car, and also connectivity. Look at each differently. Think at each differently. And then it'd be easier first to identify the problems and then later on solve them. Let's look at the sensors. The sensors on the car are a different technology. Different That's, than uh, the ones... They're that... not the algorithm they're driving. Mm -hmm. they, they give the information to the algorithms, but they have this independent life. You can have, theoretically, a car without any sensors, or a car with just the sensors without the algorithm, just giving information. Even today, we have cameras on our cars. 
And when you talk about sensors alone, without the autonomous car, it suddenly becomes a bit simpler. Because, you know what, I think even you know of a case where we already had thousands of cars with cameras on them on the streets. Google Street View. So actually, it's not such a new problem. Maybe we have solutions already out there. It just requires us to think differently. So to take the big problem and split it up into smaller problems. Talk about the technologies. It's not only smaller problems. It's not regulating the end product, the car, this magic carpet. It's not magical at all. It's regulating technologies. And it's nothing new. Even nowadays, in our normal cars, we don't regulate just the car. We regulate the brakes. We regulate the wheel. We regulate everything. We regulate the technologies. Why not do the same when it comes to autonomous cars? Of course, you will still have these innovative problems which are new. You know, there's going to be an accident and there's somebody's going to write the algorithm and the algorithm is going to have to decide whether we hit the person to the left or hit the person to the right because these are our only choices. How do we decide? Is this a question for lawyers and legal scholars or for philosophers? The question is for us, I don't know about the answer, but as a legal scholar, I'm going to have to tell people, listen, these cars are going to go on the roads and we have to find a legal solution. Because let's, let's talk about it. This is going to be something new. When you're involved in an accident, the moment the accident is very close to, to happening, your instincts turn in. You don't think about it. So whether you swerved your car into the road to protect somebody else, nobody asked you what was your logic. But the algorithm is pre-programmed. They won't have this defense of, well, it was instinct. And therefore, we have to have this moral answer. Now, I I'm the first one who says lawyers should not be <laughs> dealing with morality. But we have to raise this issue. And I'm, I'm not sure this is something... Well, I actually, I am sure this is something we can't leave open. We have to give an answer and we have to think technology-wise because it's not just writing code. Self-driving algorithms, it's not really autonomous, it's self-driving algorithms are built using a huge database, vast database built over time and given value. I'm not the computer specialist here, I'm not going to get into it. And we need to talk with the tech guys. We need to talk technology as legal scholars and the engineers and even the ethics professors. Wouldn't it be easier if we did regulate the end product? You're Uber, you're Google, you're whatever. You're making a car. You're responsible for that car because the person in it is not operating it. And if something happens, it's your responsibility. It's a great question. And I think I have three different types of answers. First, the question of to whom do I blame the finger and to point the finger. Sorry, I'm mixing here two uh, idioms. This question is, of course, I think, yes, we should find someone who is the person who can easily fix the problems and we should point the finger at him. And that fact, I, I would say the person who sells you the end product. That's only one thing. But I want to show him what's an ideal car in my eyes as a regulator. I want to tell him, you're not going to decide who's going to die in the accident. Because I'm sure that a profit-based company will have profit-based solutions and they will prefer uh -huh. killing the old person than the, the executive. Person, yeah. Or maybe worse, even sell insurance telling people if you pay us $100,000, our cars will do everything not to run over you. And I'm afraid of that. <laughs> I think the third issue is that this is the first time we're going to have to give answers to this kind of problem. I don't think that anybody had 
I think the courage in the past to say this life is worth more than another. I think ever since the World War II, we've been saying anything but that. But I think we have no choice. We're going to have to ask the simple question. This is a philosophical question from the 70s, I think. The trolley dilemma. Where you, you, there's a runaway trolley and you're sitting in the side. And if you let it continue straight forward, it will kill three. And if you pull the lever, it will go to the side and kill only one. Is three better than one? That's a question that has to be asked because the algorithm works in a, a very uh, planned way. The algorithm, to the person the algorithm has to have an answer. If it won't give you an answer, it will find it somewhere else. It's statistical a based machine or deep learning machine, whatever you can call it, you have to provide an answer. So we're going to back to moral basics of uh, utilitarianism versus deontology. But let's face it, this is not going to be a philosophical question anymore. We're going to have to have politicians and regulators sitting and answering these types of questions. Or else we're going to leave it to profit-based companies. What about speed on the road? What speed should cars drive? We know that the speed outside today is built for human drivers. So what will happen if we have an autonomous car and a normal car driving side by side? Should each have different rules? Should we have other rules? Very complex issue, but I'm sure from Tempe, Arizona, we learned one thing. We're not ready. Mm-mm. Not yet. When AlphaGo beat the uh, world champion in Go, uh, Lee Seydoux, what we learned is that we cannot learn how the AI makes its decisions. We can only... directed into solving specific problems or have it learn unsupervised and then we can't know why it decided to do what it did but it won the game what happens if AI is running autonomous cars and it decides who to run over and you and and you can't even the people who made it can't tell you why this is but a brilliant question and it goes to the core of liability when we ask you why did you do something you tell us you I did it because. But this is some sort of a statistical machine. This is going to create a very complex regime and make a lot of lawyers very rich. Hopefully there will be very few accidents, so not too rich. But the idea will be changing the way we check liability from why to testing, well, did you have a sufficient statistical database? Did you put in this scenario? Did you check Uh, what to do in the rain that will be one type of question i'm not sure this is good for a trial because it's very difficult to prove maybe this should be even before you get a license so you have to prove you have x amount of hours in rain x amount of hours in snow in israel in the desert in the mountains before you give any software the regulation to work in israel but a, a second set of questions will be and i think this is a nice way to go if you are you a human driver what would you have done and this is a Good way to start. I'm not sure I would run, not want even a higher standard, but at least that. Let's start from here. And then we have another question coming in. Okay, let's say you didn't live to the standard of the human. But was it a mistake? Was it a negligent mistake? Was it intentional? Did you I, become murderous? I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that we'll have... Uh, who, who was intentional? Who? I'm, I'm not sure there's even one person that... We can put the, bl- put the blame on. on because this program is probably made by over 10,000 people all over the world. There will be other issues. So another question we might ask a person involved in an accident, did you update your software recently? Gadi <laughs> Perl, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for this episode of Lex Kibernetica. I'm Ito Kainan. See you in cyberspace.
This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica. More episodes are available at the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.